Welcome to the Not-For-Profit Podcast. My name is Matt Williams. Today we are talking to Scott Watkins from the Pollinate Group Australia. Scott is the board director and chairman of the board for Pollinate Group and has been involved with them for uh, about the past four years. We talked to Scott on a couple of different levels and a couple of different things that we covered off. The first being what happens when the board realizes that the goals they've set aren't realistic? What happens when you try and set goals that are, they, they get unachievable and they realize what happens then and how they go about changing that and what the direction it is around that and if there's any ramifications from the board level. The second thing we have a chat to Scott about is a merger of an NFP. Now, it's not something that you hear very often and it's not something you see very often either is a, is a merger of two NFPs. But we chat to Scott about how this happened, how it came about, and what was the ramifications from that in the sense of board management and volunteers on the ground, financial, and that sort of things. To we talked to him about how that how it happened, and whether it was a success or not. And lastly, we talked to Scott around communication within the board and the entrepreneurs or volunteers on the ground. Why? why it's important that the board and the CEO and the volunteers have an effective means of communication. And we talked to him about how they go about that in the Pollinate group, both on the ground in India and Nepal and here in Australia. And as you'll hear, there's board members all around the world. So we talked to him about how effective communication happened and what impact that has on the organization. Without further ado, let's get into it. The Not-For-Profit Podcast is brought to you by Platinum Audits for all your auditing needs. If you need any audits done or you need any information, please contact Platinum Audits. Welcome to the Not-For-Profit Podcast. My name is Matt Williams. Today, we are joined by Scott Watkins from Pollinate Group Australia. Welcome to the show, Scott. Hi. It's good to be here. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, we were introduced to each other through Tim from Parkrun Australia, who was my first guest, and I appreciate that. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do and what Pollinate Group does? Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've worked with Tim a few years in my capacity with, with Parkrun, but I think the story that I'm interested in talking about today is, is what was my first entry into the not-for-profit space, which was through uh, Pollinate Group. So Pollinate Group is a social enterprise that was founded in Australia, but we operate in India and Nepal. And our work is focused on developing women as entrepreneurs in slum communities, selling products that change the lives of people that they work with. So we train women to uh, sell things like solar-powered lights, uh, fans, water filters, and sanitary products in their community. So it's it's uh, an organization where we, we sell the products rather than give them away, but the proceeds of the organization as a social enterprise are invested back into the business. And the impact of the organization is that the people who buy the things like the, the solar lights, fans, water filters, sanitary products, their lives are improved. But by focusing on training the women, particularly in the communities as the entrepreneurs, we're also impacting them and, and creating jobs for them and uh, and uplifting them. Oh, that's awesome. Did When it first started, did you focus on the women for a reason or was it that just out of out of need? 
No, that it's actually probably one of the the learnings that that we've had. Um, so the the co-founders who, who started Pollinate, um, I, I was not one of them. I, I came into the organisation as a as a volunteer and then became chair of the board about uh, four years ago. But we we began about seven years ago, and the the co-founders identified the problem with respect to the product. So it was people who didn't have access to electricity first. There's there's millions of people in India that that never have uh, and, that don't and will never have access to grid connected electricity. So the initial focus was on the solar powered lights and selling them, and developing a business model around uh, allowing the people in the communities to buy the lights and on a payment plan. So they can uh, get the light up front and pay for it over a few weeks, uh, and but actually going into the communities, into these slums, and selling them there because these were people who who didn't feel able to go into mainstream stores and buy buy a light. And so the initial focus was really about that distribution model, what what people talk about the last mile distribution. The uh, but as we built the business and grew and expanded into a few cities in India, we realized that the people who were doing the selling were, were mainly men, and they were mainly men who were sort of ambitious about becoming salespeople and entrepreneurs themselves. And the, the decision to pivot and look at a real focus on women came as part of a, a merger that we did. Okay. So that pivot and that merger, that would have brought up some interesting issues that come about. Was there something that you did as part of the merger and that pivot? Was there something that you tried that worked or was it a learning process over months, years? Was there anything that you, any key that you say, if somebody's looking at pivoting from one thing to another, is there something you have to have in mind to be able to do that? Well, I think a merger in the not-for-profit space is a really interesting thing to talk about because it's something that doesn't happen very often. And certainly when we embarked upon it, there was a lot of people who thought it would fail um, for a number of reasons, um, sort of mismatch of mission, mismatch of culture, even egos at the board level, people not wanting to give up you know, their, their cause. So the reason we did it was that we recognised that in order to scale uh, and, and continue to well, be able to have a bigger impact on the, the design of the products, the way that we're positioned in the market, that we saw merging as an opportunity to accelerate that growth. And we identified uh, a, a few like-minded organizations and had, had some discussions, but ultimately um, settled on a partnership with one, uh, an organization called Empower Generation. And Empower Generation was a US-based charity that operated in Nepal, uh, and they had a sole focus on, on women entrepreneurs. And they were selling some similar products, so solar-powered lights, um, but a much broader network of, of women uh, and, and a more entrepreneurial model, so where the, the staff were just paid a commission as opposed to, to any salary basis. So once we identified it, and it was really down to the two CEOs, um, so Alexi from, from Pollinate and Anya from Empower, and they, they really implemented this, this culture uh, match where we were better together. And... And I think we all had to recognize that there were a few things that we had to let go. So both, so starting at the top, there were some board members from both organizations who did step away to create a bit more room at the table. We we were able to sort of take on board that there were things that the other organization did better than us. So from the Pollinate point of view, we recognized absolutely Empower had done a much better job at engaging women and, and bringing them. And so we brought that in and made that really central to our our mission and the way that we operate that and that was the, the strong pivot from the other way empower saw the strength in our in our operations and back end uh, as, as 
you know, Empower were largely still keeping track of their sales in an Excel spreadsheet, whereas Pollinate, we had a very sophisticated uh, backend using a variety of different platforms like Salesforce and, and a mobile app so that the sellers could keep track of inventory and payments and, and things like that. So we saw that as a way of, um, of being able to uplift the operations that were happening in the call boat by bringing that, that strength in operations. And then the combination of, of the supporters, stakeholders, donors uh, from both bringing them together and saying, well, you know, this organization we've been supporting is now going to be better because it's, it's um, merging. And so it, it was actually a largely positive process. It wasn't, it wasn't that hard. And I think that's, you know, as I said right at the start, primarily down to the two CEOs who, who were able to be so open to change and, and willing to work with each other. Uh, so it was a, a really, really positive process. And if, if there's one single positive message that people could take away from this conversation, I think it is that, that mergers in the not-for-profit space can work and can, there can be a huge upside to it. Yeah, that's awesome because it's not something you hear about every day, that is for sure. No. Um, and, and, you know, like to be from the empowered generation point of view, the, the, their mission got amplified enormously. But the reality is we, in the branding, you know, we, we changed, we used to be Pollinate Energy and we changed Pollinate Group to, to signify that there's a, a range of activities. But the empower branding is probably is is largely being minimized now so that was one aspect of things that, that you know organizations have to give up and people are very attached to a name you know but but in the end the mission and the impact has been amplified massively and that would have to be the key goal for any nfp is if you can make that merger happen and have that impact not just you know multiply one or two times but 10 or 15 or 20 times that's that you it's a win win for sure, and and I think most people would recognise that, but I think you can't underestimate the attachment that people have to the name and their thing, and and you know control of their own narrative, being able to 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 say I'm I'm actually going open to you know putting that on the table if if there's uh, you know a bigger bigger story here a bigger outcome. Yeah. yeah. So when obviously that merger and that change then and the pivot that that brings into it other things like you have multiple you know dealings with different countries you have multiple dealers with different more volunteers more salespeople, more product was that there a learning curve there for the team was it um, managed well if if was there a something that could have been done better look i mean there's always things that that, that you can do better i mean we we had to do all of those things expanding geographies and and managing inventory um you know there, there was some stock in both sides where probably we decided that those products weren't um, you know totally suitable and, and you know maybe had to write them down and sell them at you know slightly lower cost you know I'm, I'm not totally across all of the details about about how much but there wasn't a lot um, negative that, that 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 played out in that in terms of, of lessons and you know things that um, you know, we we've had to learn to do better I would probably take a step back to before the merger um, where our with Pollinate, our, our goals, our expansion goals were a lot more ambitious than what we what we delivered on. What what we managed to do was um, realize that the the strategic goals that we set up were not actually achievable. We were probably a little bit too ambitious in terms of our our expansion goals. We we had a vision that we were going to be in twenty cities by twenty twenty, and we're we're in about six. And so what we had to do was actually say it's actually a little bit harder to expand than what we thought. And, and, and say, let's, let's focus on trying to understand actually what it's like to be in, in those different cities and what the difference is between establishing ourselves in different cities. 
and then go forward from there in a more considered way. And um, and so then when we got to the merger, the expansion into a new country by through the merger, which was from India into Nepal, was an easier process because we'd sort of, uh, I guess, relaxed our, our sort of expansion goals a little bit. And was that an adjustment from this? That would have been an adjustment from the CEO and the board as well. So the board would have to have a a very much an understanding of that. And did the board during that time when they looked at that expansion just before the merger, were they understanding? Were they open to going? Hey guys, we uh, set ourselves an unrealistic goal. Was there any you know personality challenges to go? No, we can do it. Just keep pushing. Just keep pushing, or anything like that. Or were the board very accepting of? Hey, let's just pull it back a little bit. Yeah, definitely the latter. I think um, we've been very, Pollinate as an organization has been very fortunate. Um, so Alexi, who has been up until just very recently the CEO, uh, was one of the co-founders and then the first CEO, is, uh, has been an incredible leader. And I think um, her, her recognition that, um, that those goals were, were too ambitious was um, clearly articulated the reasons behind it and the opportunities that we had that were different, the board was totally supportive of that. And, and um, you know, we've been in a, a great situation where the people that I've been fortunate to work with on the board have been incredibly supportive and engaged in understanding. So, you know, the reasons behind it and the options ahead of us were all very clear. Okay, that, that's good to hear because I know that sometimes when there's change, the board members, some board can go, no, we can do it, and then you can have that conflict within the board. It's great to hear that Pollinate didn't have that, and I believe that that makes it a lot easier for a, an organization, NFP or not, to move forward and actually achieve those goals. Yeah, exactly, and, and you know, I, I can't speak highly enough of, as I said, Alexi, but also my colleagues on the board, um, because I think you know we've we've rarely had disagreement on on things, or I mean, essentially never on anything of substance. Um, I think we've been very aligned in, in what we um, we see as the opportunities and where we've had to adjust. We've adjusted together. Now, the challenges that working overseas brings. Obviously, there's cultural differences, there's language differences. Is there is there something that you guys came across that helped that you got over how you helped? Was it having somebody on the ground, having that board support? Was there any one factor that helped you to make an impact and expand in India, let's say, for example, and then Nepal came secondly? But was there something that worked or something that you, you tried that didn't work to get through that the challenges of working in a different culture? I think in terms of operations, a very strong embrace of technology was has has been a success. So um, even in the early days, the the six co-founders were only in a room together once. Uh, so um, you know, so much of the operations of of pollinating throughout our existence has been online, uh, and you know, so video calls like like you and I are doing now, uh, using all of the you know, available digital platforms, whether it's for project planning, record keeping, uh, you know, documentation, meetings, uh, that sort of thing. So very high um, sort of uh, technological prowess on the on the part of, of staff and board members to enable uh, a multi-location organization to work. So operations in India. Um, so Alexi, our CEO, most of the time was located in, in India, but she was, uh, she was Australian and so we'd come back here a lot. We do have our, our director of philanthropy and our um, fellowships team located here in Australia, uh, and our comms uh, in in Canada actually. Um, and then, for, and then for the board, um, we, we've had board members uh, located across. Uh, so um, 
Africa, India, Asia, Australia, and and North America. Uh, so we we're always on on calls, and someone's in some strange t- sort of time of day, uh, and but. We've made it all work, and and so I think having people who are highly digitally literate as the executives and board members has been important to enable that uh, that to work in a very geographically dispersed organisation. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I find in most organisations, even local ones. Now we are, you know, digitally ourselves. I'm sitting in my office at home, so and working on a client in Melbourne. So yeah, it's it's fantastic like that. Does that bring challenges though on the ground for people who aren't like if you're bringing the the sellers on or stuff like that? It, does that bring problems on the ground for people who don't have that technology literacy? Uh, and do you bring in training for that? To the latter, yes. Um, I guess what we actually operated on the ground was we did. I think you know, and I'm not totally across all of the details, but it's my understanding we did try a few different digital platforms in India for communication between local staff on the ground in India. But ultimately, the thing that they were most comfortable with was just WhatsApp. And so we have um, a couple of very active WhatsApp groups where staff on the ground are sharing stories. Um, uh, the operations team, you know, organize meetings and, um, you know, remind people that things are happening. Uh, and then, you know, then they'll go offline to the Google Hangout meeting or Zoom meeting or, you know, whatever platform we're using. Yeah, so recognizing that um, we had to choose a slightly different platform. Um, so the board doesn't communicate by WhatsApp, for example. We'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah. Largely, we'll largely communicate by email, but the operations staff on the ground in India, in India, all of their communications are by WhatsApp. Yeah. Do you have a specialised board member who actually communicates, communicates between the board and the on-ground, or is that more of a CEO role? The CEO is communicating to the guys on the ground what the board want and vice versa, or is the board actually any board member's um, you know, to tag to do that? So largely the CEO, uh, but we do have a number of areas where board members were actively involved in specific aspects of operations. So, for example, we have uh, had a, a finance risk and audit committee uh, where um, over the last couple of years, one of our board members worked closely with our, our uh, finance staff to re- remap and re- replan our um, financial system, so the actual mechanics of the, the software we were using for our finances. Um, another one of our board members has been very actively involved in developing one of our programs. So these are programs where we bring people from overseas to India and get them involved in some project planning and, and training and personal development of them, but working on projects for us. Um, and that's a that's a, a way of us um, accelerating our development, and it's also a fundraising opportunity for us. And so, yeah, one of our directors played the lead role in, in developing that program and facilitating it. We've had um, you know, another couple of examples where directors have been sort of tasked with specific projects, either through a subcommittee or just a one-on-one on one thing. Um, but in general, you know, the role of the board is to manage the governance and, and you know, the communications through to the operations is through the, the CEO. Oh, beautiful. Do you find that when the board's involved on that more of a one level and on, on a data, not a day-to-day, but a project level, there's more involvement, they feel more part of the team rather than a board just meets once every six weeks, two months, and sort of like looks at what's going on? Do you find that they're a bit more passionate about it? For sure. I mean, I, there, there's, you know, when, when as a board member, if you're just looking at risk and compliance all the time, that's a bit boring. But if you get to contribute occasionally to some aspect of strategy or a very limited part of operations or, you know, actually, you know, contributing maybe some of your professional skills in a practical way, that's incredibly rewarding. And I think it also can 
help you be a bit more aware of the the practicalities of the organization you're dealing with. And from the flip side, I've, you know, me personally, I've tried uh, in, in the last uh, few years or to always attend our annual um, all-staff strategy workshop. And you know, my contribution there hasn't been enormous in terms of, you know, planning or participating or anything. But um, I've definitely got the feedback that being there and being involved have given some of our staff um, some, like, they've, they've been grateful for me to attend. It, they, it, it makes me seem like a real person to them. And it gives them a little bit of comfort in those times, especially in, you know, a small startup where sometimes things are a bit rocky, that there is another layer of governance there, you know, looking after the CEO and, and um, you know, providing level of support. And so by actually seeing the person and he- hearing from them, meeting them, you know, makes it a bit more real and it gives them a bit more confidence. Yeah, that's awesome. And do you find that being involved in that helps you as well? It like just gives you that passion to keep going and to keep doing more and to, and to grow the business and get it better? For sure. I mean, there's nothing more um, sort of satisfying than being able to see the, the, the impact of the actual work that the organization is doing. So even... Uh, what a month ago I was I was in India and one of the afternoons I took the opportunity to go out with one of our pollinators the um, so these are the people that train our entrepreneurs uh, we went into the community and sat down so we were sitting on the ground in a little uh, tuple and hut talking to this young woman who was uh, who was one of our Surimukis, the the entrepreneurs and you know here someone's translating for me obviously but hearing her story about how you know she's selling more and more products and seeing the seeing her become incredibly animated about the the thing that she's doing by improving herself but also improving the community and you know I'm walking through I mean it was pouring raining by the end of it walking through the mud and and dirt past these tents and seeing everyone lit up by a solar powered light inside and you know that's awesome you know and and to think that I've contributed a little bit to this amazing organization that's enabled that is Wonderful, and that's that's the half the reason we are involved in NFP sector is to contribute to make society great, even if it's only a little bit or one person or one community. If we're contributing, then we've done a little bit to to help the world, for sure. But I would add though that that over the course of you know my tenure with with Pollinate Group, we have had some directors who've been able to be just as passionate and just as committed. Uh, to me, without having visited, without having actually gone and seen it on the ground, so there, there's still, you can still make that connection um, by by other means. But but for me personally, the the physical connection and going visiting India you know, about once a year and seeing it has has been wonderful. Oh, that's awesome! Wait, we're just about out of time. If people want to get in contact with you, with you, what's the best? What's the best place to uh, get in contact? Yeah, so if looking up um, Pollinate Group, uh, our work online, you can you can find out about there. Um, I mean, Scott Watkins, people can find me on LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to do it um, through uh, looking me up in, with respect to Pollinate Group or or, or Parkrun. Uh, you'll find me. But um, I'm I'm always happy to talk to other entrepreneurs, people involved in the not for profit sector. Uh, or, or you know, my professional backgrounds in, in science. I'm, I'm a chemist, and that, that's my, my, my paid job, um, working in a chemical company. So, um, any any aspects of those things, you know, I think it's I'm always up for conversation. Whether it's people who might be able to help me, or maybe asking me for help for them yeah, to do connect and reach out. Beautiful. Thanks very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Okay, great. Thanks. It's good to speak with you. Thanks, mate. Thank you.